Good morning, City Light Church. Good to be with you guys. My name is Gavin, one of the pastors. And uh, as Chris said, you all have had an extra hour of sleep. Expect you to help me preach today by waking up. Give me some amens. Let's get into this. We're going to hear from God. I believe he's got a word for us. So would you please open your Bibles to 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Uh, this entire kind of fall, we've just been setting down roots in the book of 1 John, a little over halfway through it. And uh, I don't know if God's been teaching you anything through it, but he certainly has been me. A number of years ago, uh, my wife and I and some family were uh, down south in Florida. And the thing about the south is they have this phenomenon called the Waffle House. You guys familiar with the Waffle House? You don't see the Waffle Houses around here, but down south they have the Waffle House. And so my wife and I went to a Waffle House, that was mistake number one, and uh, proceeded to order a meal. And the thing about Waffle House is you can see the cook in the kitchen, right? And so we're watching the cook in the kitchen make my sandwich, and we notice that the cook in the kitchen has an open wound on his hand. You remember that, honey? That, and I don't mean like he had a little scab on his thumb, okay? That's okay. I mean open wound. Like, like... I'm not going to say it, but like some, some liquid coming out. This man's touching my food. I want French toast. He's touching the bread. I'm watching the wound and the pus and the... Ooh. It's a dangerous thing when you can see the cook in the kitchen. And so then we've got the moral dilemma. Do we eat what that cook just made us? And uh, if my memory serves me correctly, I think we might have just slipped out before he actually served our meal to us. And I say that this morning not just to gross you out, uh, but I say that analogous to, uh, I want to say this, I think in our culture, we are being fed a lot of messages every day. Think about your typical daily routine, you're going to check your Facebook feed, your Twitter feed, read some news online. You're going to interact with some people, hear from some professors, interact with colleagues, watch the evening news. You're going to watch some TV, listen to some radio, maybe watch a movie or the blacklist with your wife on Netflix before bed. Whatever it is, all day long we are on the receiving end of an influx, a downward cultural current of messages speaking to us. And what we're going to read in the scripture this morning is that God wants to tell us, hey, listen, everything that's being served up in the kitchen of culture, don't just consume it. I want you to consider who is the cook in the kitchen. And if you are a follower of Christ, I want you to be able to discern what is true and helpful and right and what is not true, and what is unhelpful, and what is wrong. God wants to disciple us in being a discerning people from knowing what is true and what is false. Amen? We need to consider the cook in the kitchen. I want to preach a sermon to you this morning called A Gospel Filter and Discerning the Truth. A Gospel Filter and Discerning the Truth. We're going to take a look at these uh, six verses today. And uh, I just want to get right into it. We've all had our extra sleep and our coffee. And so let me, let me hit you with my outline, and then we're going to get into the text. The number, thing I want to, number one thing I want to do is take a look at the gospel truth that this passage says about us. Okay? If you're a follower of Jesus, he's going to tell you who you are as a foundation of truth in your identity before God. The second thing I want us to see is that in here, from the anchor of that truth, he's then going to give us a filter to say, okay, 
as the messages of the culture are coming downstream, how do you start to screen out the truth from the lie, right? As a child of God, how do you learn to hear your father's voice and kind of weed out the lies and believe the truth? And uh, the number three thing I want to do in this sermon this morning is to kind of make it really practical. And we're going to take some, some cultural messages that I think are coming downside, both uh, outside in the culture and, and a lot of the lies that we have in our own head, and learn how to filter those things out. That we would be a people that stand on truth, that believe truth, that root ourselves in truth. So number one, I want to show us the gospel truth, family of God, in our passage that we get this morning. And so uh, here's what I want to do. I'm going to start in verse 4. Let me put this up on the screen. Can we get verse 4 up on uh, the screens? Let me just affirm, City Light Church, if you are a child of God, if you've placed your faith in Jesus, John is going to start by telling us the truth about who we are. Let me read this to you this morning. He starts off in verse 4, little children. What he's saying there is not just that City Light, you're young or you're youthful. He's referring to you as the family of God. What he's saying is this. That means that from eternity past, God looked at you and he looked at me. And he looked at your sin and your shortcomings and your greed and your pride and and our lust and our selfishness. And nonetheless, he said, I want you in my family. I want to adopt you into my family, and my love for you is so strong, I'm willing to pay any price to bring you into the family of God, even the life of my son on a cross. That's the love of God for you. He's going to give us this gospel truth. Little children, you are in the family of God if your faith is in Christ. Amen? Number two, he says, little children, you are from God. So it's not just that God has kind of brought you into his family. He said, I'm going to make you my possession. You are from God and you belong to God. You are his and he is yours and he has put the stamp of his Holy Spirit upon you that says you belong to me. And isn't there some security knowing that we are in the family of God and we belong to God and he belongs to us? I'm not from Waverly, I'm from God, amen? Amen. You're not just from Omaha or Millard, you are from God, that's an identity, You're a child of God, you belong to God, and he says, and you have overcome them. That's the false teachers, we're going to get into that. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And so he's saying God has adopted you into his family, he's made you his very treasured possession, and now he has put his very power and presence inside of you through the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't know what kind of week you had. Mine was a weird week. It's been a weird morning. There's been drama, conflict, chaos, but God is holding out this gospel truth as our anchor saying, don't forget who you are, church. You are the children of God. You are God's possession, and his very Holy Spirit resides in you. That is the gospel truth. Amen? Amen. I thought you got an extra hour of sleep. Amen? Amen. Amen. Now he says, he who is in you, that's the Holy Spirit, is greater than he who is in this world. That is our enemy. The Bible calls him Satan or the devil. And the Bible says that he is the accuser of the brothers. Um, John chapter 8 verse 44, I believe, says that he is the father of lies and his native language is lying. And so we know that we have an enemy, and the main arsenal in his, main weapon in his arsenal to be used as an attack against us is lies. We have an enemy who speaks lies, and so we've got this gospel truth, we're the children of God, we belong to God, we have the spirit of God, but we have an enemy who wants to lie to us. 
And this verse says, don't fear your enemy because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. But it does call us to pay attention to the enemy because he is going to speak lies to us. And you might say, well, if I don't have to fear the devil, if he can't steal my salvation or take my faith away, uh, really, what is the threat? Why do I need to be aware of the devil if he can't change my reality? Here's why. I heard this this week. I thought it was spot on. I wanted to share it with you. This is what I learned this week. We don't experience reality. We experience our perception of reality. See the difference? That's deep. It took me a minute too. Heard it from another preacher. I thought, man, I'm going to steal that this week. That is good. Because we, even though this gospel reality is true of us, if your faith is in Jesus, you're in the family of God, you belong to God, you're secure in God, the spirit of God is inside of you, you might not experience that unless you perceive it to be true. And Satan, our enemy, wants to lie to us so that we don't receive and experience what is true of us, but that we see and experience lies. That we would be a people who are corrupted by lies. And though he can't take our faith, he would love to cripple our confidence before God. So then in our worship, we wouldn't want to sing out to the Lord, but we'd be thinking about the stuff that we missed this week and how God must be disappointed in us and how we really don't deserve to have intimacy with God. He might not be able to take your soul from you, but he would love to fill your life and your heart and your mind with a thousand distractions that are going to limit your ministry and make you miserable and destroy your marriage and cause you to get snappy with the kids every Sunday before church so that they would grow up resenting God. He might not be able to rob your identity, but he would make you believe a new identity so that it would rob God of his worship and distract his worshipers from their purpose and take shots at the church and cripple us from the inside. I think this matters because I, I fully believe that God has designed us, City Light, the local church, and it's many expressions, we being one of many. God has designed the church to be the human incubator for creating the world's best future. God has trusted us with the light of the gospel in the word of God in a community where we can receive and extend forgiveness and grace the world doesn't know anything about. He's entrusted that kind of hope in the gospel in this community to us. And Satan, though he might not be able to take your salvation from you, would love to just feed you lies to prevent you from enjoying God, being salt and light in the world, and to prevent us, City Light Church, from being the people that God has called us to be. Amen? It's for that reason I want to preach this sermon In addition to that, I want to pray, City Light, that we would be a church that's grounded in truth. That we would be a church that knows and believes the gospel identity that Jesus says about us, that knows and believes and loves and meditates on, saturates our hearts in the truth of the word of God, even when it's unpopular or inconvenient, even when it makes relationships awkward or even confronts our own sin, that we would rest in truth. Amen? Amen. So here's what, uh, here's what John's going to tell us. Uh, to be this, he's going to give us a very practical command. He's going to say, consider who the cook is in the kitchen before you eat that sandwich. All right? Here's kind of my next point. He's going to say, test the spirits. Here we go. Verse 4. Let's go back to verse 1. Here's our command. Beloved, there he is speaking gospel identity. We're the beloved children of God. Beloved, here's what we are to do and not do. Do not believe every spirit. But test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. 
Simply put, he's saying, church, you are loved by God. Don't believe everything you hear. There's some real junk out there and garbage, and you need to be careful. And his command is, don't believe everything, but test the spirit behind the message that you're hearing. Here's what he's saying. The spirit of God is in you, but there are other spirits and agents in this world that influence the messages that we are receiving that are coming downstream and culture. And he's saying, remember who the cook in the kitchen is. Discern it. Test it. Pay attention to what you're eating before you just put that in your body, right? He's saying behind the prophets and the voices and the antichrist, which just simply means uh, an anti-Christian message, a voice, a messenger that is not for Jesus but against Jesus, behind all that, our passage says, is a spirit. And uh, spirits aren't always like Halloween, like, uh, you know, little scary creatures that are going to jump out and scare us, right? Uh, A lot of times they traffic in truths and lies, And the way they can infiltrate us and our church is not through scaring us or possessing the lights and different weird things on Halloween, but by speaking lies to us. And John's going to say, test those spirits. When you hear a voice, know there's a spirit behind that message, and it's either the spirit of God or it's the spirit of your enemy. Test those spirits. Here was the reality of John's day. This was a pretty new church uh, in a very non-Christian Obviously, part of the world at the time as Christianity was new and the advance of the gospel uh, was just beginning to spread. And what happened in John's day is these young churches were starting to just kind of consume cultural thought about God uncritically. Oh, you speak from God? Well, that's great. There's a new idea. Let's adopt that. And John's telling them, and he's telling us today, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. Church, be discerning people. Listen, you are God's children. You are his possession. Don't just listen to every voice coming at you because some of them are very anti-Christ and some of those voices are lies and you need to be able to discern that. And I have to name the elephant in the room. We don't preach a lot of sermons about anti-Christ and uh, weird spirits lying to us, right? But before you check out and think, Gavin, this has nothing to do with me, I want you to know this is very practical, right? You might think the only like, um, false prophet I ever heard was in college, and he stood up on this big podium, and he had like a dated haircut and a big King James Version Bible, and he yelled at us and said he was a prophet. And so I've met one false prophet, but I didn't listen to him. And what I want to say to us, church, is that false prophets and antichrist messages don't just come from wingnut religious people and those guys with ill-fitting black pants and awkward white shirts with elder name tags that show up on your door, Okay. There are many voices coming at us. Every day there are messages coming from daytime television, university professors, self-help preachers, New York Times bestsellers, holiday commercial ads, and pop music telling us what's important in this world. There is no shortage of voices that are telling us who we are, the nature of our existence, our purpose in life, who God is, what we should value, what is true, what is right, what is wrong, what we should care about, what we should give our time, attention, resources to Every day we're listening to messages about our identity, our sexuality, our destiny, our value, our purpose, what we should be entitled to and give our lives to. And we hear it in our music and in our culture and from each other inside all of our heads. But John's going to tell us, test the the cook in the kitchen, okay? Who's drumming up these thoughts before you entertain them in your head and in your heart? And you might think, well, how do I test the spirits? That's kind of an an odd thing. John's going to make it very practical for us. He's going to do what I believe is to kind of lay out two screens that make up what I would call the gospel filter. 
Okay? Screen number one that he's going to show us in the next verse is you need to consider what does that voice say about Jesus Christ? Does that message that you're listening to reflect the nature of the gospel? That's screen number one. He says, lay over the top of that the screen of the Bible. Does that message that you're hearing and receiving, is it congruent with God's truth that is Scripture? Is it consistent with the message of the Bible? Let me show you the two screens from our text. Look with me again at verse 2. He says, by this you know the Spirit of God. Here's your test. Here's the screen. He says, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. So, the message points you to Christ, that he is God, come from God, become a human to save and redeem the world and you. We like that message, okay? We're on their team. Number three, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. Okay? No Jesus, we don't like that message. The reason why he gives us this first um, kind of screen, does the messenger and the spirit behind it point you to Christ, his divinity, his humanity, and your identity? Because who, that's because who Jesus is is at the very core of the redemptive work of God. It all hinges on Jesus. All of scripture, all of God's redemptive work in human history to save and redeem you and me and the lost world hinges on who is Jesus. That's the most important, the most fundamental question. We have to affirm that he is, in fact, God, that he is from God, full of divinity, because only an eternal God could take upon the eternal consequences of sin, which is an eternity in hell. And so how could Jesus pay for the sins of the whole world that would send us to an eternal destiny of hell in only a moment? Because he was God. In his eternality, he was able to take on the eternal punishment of our sins in a moment. But in his humanity... In his flesh, he was able to take on as a human the wrath of God towards you and me as human for the sins that we committed as humans in our body. So the first filter, he says, is uh, the messages you're feeding your soul with, that you're believing in your head and your heart, do they point you to Jesus? If they steer you away from Jesus, his divinity, his humanity, and your identity in him, not from God, okay? That's the cook in the kitchen with the pussy hand. You don't want him touching your eggs, okay? Don't eat that one. But the second uh, screen he's going to say is this. Does it agree with the whole Bible, right? Our ultimate source of truth is the people of God, is God's perfect, uh, infallible spoken word to us. And uh, here's what he is going to say. Look at verse 6. This is John writing. He says, We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. For by this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Okay, first time I read this, I thought, John, you're kind of arrogant, aren't you? We're from God, so if they listen to us, then they're from God. But if they don't listen to us, then they're not from God. Um, Let me say this. If you ever hear me and Chris saying that, uh, that we are the filter of truth and the highest authority, and if you listen to us and you're from God, if you don't listen to me, then you're not from God, go to another church because we've just planted a cult, okay? Uh, Not into planting cults into planting churches. But I want you to know why John can say this and not me. He's speaking not just as a man, not just as a Christian, not just as a pastor. He's preaching as an apostle, capital A, a man appointed by Jesus himself 
who under the guidance of the Holy Spirit is the very author of Scripture. So he's appealing to his apostolic authority. And in a sense, he's saying we can know truth, we can know those who are of God because they will submit to the Bible. They will listen to us being the voice of Scripture. Those who belong to God will submit to God's word in the Bible. Those who did not submit to God's word in the Bible are not from God, are not Christians. And so what he's saying is you lay these two over each other. The messages were entertaining from the culture and professors and and music and television and movies. He's saying, does that point you to Christ? Then meditate on that. Cherish that. Is that true with what Scripture says? Man, then put that in your heart and in your soul and let that just rest in you and minister to you. Does it not point you to Christ? Does it point you away from Christ as your hope and redemption? Is it incongruent with what Scripture says? Man, then let your gospel filter catch that. And don't let that thought reign in your head and in your heart. But be a believer of truth. Test the spirits. Does it point me to Christ? Is it true and congruent with Scripture? Then take it. Receive it. If it's not, reject it. That's what he's saying here. And so what I want to do um, with the remainder of our time... I realize this is kind of an odd sermon. We're talking about antichrists and false prophets and testing the spirits. I, I want to help us see that this is exceedingly, exceedingly practical. And so what I want to do, City Light, um, is just take some common messages that are coming kind of down the stream in culture uh, to us and just kind of run those through our filter, okay? That we wouldn't be like jellyfish in the ocean's currents, being tossed to and fro, but we would be a people anchored in the truth. So um, let me just throw out some kind of external voices, some messages that are coming down the pipeline in culture that I think we take in. Number one, in our culture, I believe there's a huge lie coming at us about the nature of sexuality. We are such a sexualized culture, amen? City Light Church is pretty unique. Even as I look out, I realize probably more than half of our church now is single, not married. Maybe a majority of our church is in teens, 20s, and 30s. We are a young, single church. And I just, man, I, I think that our church in particular, this demographic, we are on the receiving end of a rushing current that is speaking to you about your sexuality. And it goes like this. Man, if you want relationship, you need to give sex, right? If you want to have real intimacy and connection and commitment, you need to compromise. Okay, this whole, I'm going to wait till I'm married, well, good for you, cute little Christian kid. But listen, that message is antiquated. That's old-fashioned and incon- the world doesn't work that way. Man, you want to find a spouse and commit to purity? Well, then find a time machine and get back to 1914. But it's 2014. The world don't work like that anymore. Besides, your body's just your body. Sacrifice a little. Enjoy yourself. God has given sexuality to us as a blessing. True. Use it in any way you want. There is a loud communication coming downstream in our culture. We see it in TV, pop music, academia, uh, even young kids in elementary school informing our sexuality. And what John is going to say is, Christian, hold up, hold up, hold up. I know you're listening to that voice. Have you ever stopped to test the spirit behind it? Lay down the Jesus screen. What does that tell you about Jesus, who was God and came in the flesh? Lay down scripture. 
Who is the cook in the kitchen behind that thought? Is it someone who is after your joy and your life and your prosperity and your worship? Or is that actually the voice of the enemy who's looking to steal, kill, and destroy something that's beautiful that God has given you? So what's the Jesus grid? What does that message tell us about Jesus and his divinity and his humanity? Here's what Jesus tells us about divinity and humanity. It tells us that Jesus was God who became incarnate and became a man and grew up in a physical body and in his physical body honored God the Father with his sexuality. Jesus was a 30-year-old virgin as a man with every temptation that you and I have. And so you might be feeling like, man, I'm just the only person my age that, that isn't giving in to a life of, of s- sexual promiscuity and fornication. No, you're not. Your Lord <laughs> was a 30-year-old, 31, 32-year-old virgin who honored God with his sexuality. But here's the good news of the gospel. He didn't just do that as an example for us, but as a substitute, knowing that you and I would miss the mark. We would compromise sexually. And on the cross, he bore the wrath of God against all sexual immorality in his body so that the wrath of God wouldn't face us anymore. Amen? That's the good news of Jesus' humanity and divinity in regards to our sexuality. But then he gives us his Holy Spirit to live out a sexuality that honors God and is for our joy. A biblical sexuality which is in the confines of covenant marriage between one man and one woman. And I preach this not just to bring guilt. I know this is a big issue. It's a rare person that saves their virginity for their spouse, yada, yada, yada. I want you to experience not condemnation, but freedom, joy, and life and the forgiveness of God. And that he can empower you to walk with him and honor your sexuality. And listen, that voice you're hearing in the culture is a lie. It promises you life, but it delivers you death. And no one else except for the church and the word of God is going to give us this message. Amen? And so I want to preach it boldly. You are forgiven by your faith in Jesus and empowered to walk out sexual purity. City Light, would we be a a discerning church to hear the truth, walk in grace and forgiveness, and then trust God to walk in that truth. I think another lie that's coming downstream pretty readily, and we talk about this a lot at City Light because we're an American church, Western church in Omaha, Nebraska, 2014, and that's the lie of consumerism. I think that we are so entrenched in this current of consumerism that we might not even know that we're swimming in it anymore, uh, right? But the message says your value and worth is summed up uh, by the number of commas in your online bank account, what's parked in your garage, and the square footage of your home. And so get the bigger mortgage, finance for a longer period to get the bigger home, lease the car, finance the car, put the new fresh threads on the credit card, fake it till you make it, but you are the sum of your possessions. And the whole cultural movement that we're on is based on this premise of achieving the American dream and having more stuff and being financially independent and having the more toys. And John's saying, whoa, 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 whoa. I understand that's the way of the world, but you're not from the world, church. You're Jesus' people. You belong to God. You are the children of God and the family of God, living out the family values of God. Let's take a look at that consumerist voice and say, man, is that from God or is that actually from our enemy? Right? What does the voice of Jesus tell us about consumerism? Jesus says, listen, Jesus is not only your Savior, but your life. 
Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Our life and substance and joy is not defined by what's in our garage and what we drive and what we wear, but our identity is rooted in the person of Jesus. And God has given us money, and money is a good thing, can be a good thing. He's given us resources. It's okay to get promoted and be successful and do good stuff. And it's for the worship of God, our joy, and to help people. But the lie of the enemy says, um, use that stuff, um, borrow money that you don't have to buy things that you can't afford, and put yourself under a yoke of debt and enslavement that will limit your ability to worship God and help other people. Right? What does the Bible test say? Jesus says, I am your life. Don't believe that lie. Is that voice and the exhaustion you're facing, is that coming from your loving father? Or is that from the devil that would seek to kill and destroy your worship, your ministry, your marriage, your impact? Listen to the voice, test the spirits. I think a third and very common one in our culture, and this is not popular for me to preach, I realize that, but a very prevalent and leading religious message that's coming down the stream of our culture is that there are many ways to God, right? 30 will probably leave the church after I preach this, <laughs> right? Because culture says, listen, you can have your Jesus. Christianity is great. Uh, that's one viable and good option among many. But the exclusivity of Christ, man, how bigoted, how arrogant to say that Jesus is the only way to the Father. And it seems reasonable. In my flesh, I would be a pluralist, right? I like this idea. It seems palatable, but John's saying just because it looks good and sounds good doesn't mean that it is good. What does that say about Jesus? The message of plurality says this about Jesus. It says that we have a really mean God. Because if Jesus is one option among many, then God the Father sent God the Son to the cross for nothing. What a cruel and angry God to crucify his son on a cross if there were other ways to atone for man's sin and bring a lost people back to the Father. But Jesus said, I am the way, and I am the truth, and I am the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And I know that sounds exclusionary, but I want you to know that the Christian gospel message is the most inclusive message in all of the world. Most famous book, chapter, uh, verse of the Bible says, For God so loved the world that what? Whoever believes that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him, whomever, whoever would repent of their sin and trust Christ would be born again. Very last chapter of the Bible, Revelation 22, verse 7, God says, Whosoever will come. The gospel is the most inclusive message in all of the world. God's saying, listen, before you just receive the message of the culture coming downstream, test the spirits. Be a people that roots yourself in truth. Now, I don't know about you guys, but um, I think some of the primary lies that the enemy throws out me aren't always out there in the culture, though those are real. I think a lot of the lies that he wants to get to me with happen right up here, right in my own head. And so too, I think John would say, listen, test the spirits behind that message before you let that sit on the couch in your head and make itself comfortable. Here's some of the lies I think I believe. I think the number one um, message that the evil one would put in my head is just a spirit of discouragement. Just a, a voice of condemnation against me, and it sounds like this, Gavin, what are you doing? Who are you kidding? Anyone else kind of wake up in the morning and your first inclination is just kind of beat yourself up for a while? <laughs> 
I'm not going to start my day till I just feel like a worthless human being. Let me just think about all the emails I didn't get to yesterday and the voicemail I forgot to reply to and how I'm behind in this and failing at this and, and how I really kind of stink at this and I'm underqualified and I'm a really a bad dad because I work too much and I'm a bad pastor because I work too little and how I'm not meeting people's expectations and how, man, my past sins really should have disqualified me a long time ago and my present sins and struggles are, are really keeping me from doing ministry and, and when are gonna, people going to realize who you... And this, pernicious voice enters my head of discouragement. And what does John say? Listen, you're the children of God. You're the people of God. Don't you dare let that voice take root in your head till you test the Spirit and decide if that's from the Spirit of your loving Father or your enemy. And so what's the Jesus test say? Jesus says, the Jesus test says, God became a man in the person of Jesus to go to the cross to deal with my sins so that my past sins would no longer be held against me. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And even my current sins, struggles, and weaknesses are a temporary reality because Philippians 1 says that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. That I have been saved, I am being redeemed, and the Spirit of God is inside of me, enabling me to do everything I need to get done every day, no more, no less, and my identity is no longer based on what I can get done or meeting other people's expectations, but having the perfect affirmation of the Father because of Jesus' work in me. Amen? That's the voice of truth. That's the voice of truth. See, but the devil's tricky with me. He's kind of bipolar in his assaults, and so it's not always discouragement. There's another voice that creeps in here that's called pride. Maybe you can relate to this voice. This voice says, you know, you've kind of got some stuff dialed in. You've kind of got some stuff figured out. You've done a few things. You meet with these people in financial chaos, and you think, you people, it's not that hard. Do math. Get a calculator. You can't afford it, don't buy it. You wonder why your marriage is a hot mess because you're stupid. Just don't be dumb. You can't afford it, don't buy it. Why can't these people have common sense like I have, right? Honoring God is not that hard. Just stop, start saying no to sin. Don't be an idiot. What's wrong with these people? My life would be so much easier if you just got your stuff together, right? Pride is a toxin to the human soul. It will cripple your compassion for other people. It will elevate your own status in your own head. It will minimize the work of Jesus in your life. And the voice of the devil loves to put pride in our hearts. What does the Jesus test say? It says that God himself had to come down and be a human because I was such a sinner that I couldn't remedy my own situation. It took a divine savior to save me, right? And I'm a broken sinner as broken as anyone else. And how dare the posture of any sinful being who's sick and broken just happen to find the remedy in Jesus Christ dare sit next to any other sinner with a look of condemnation, pride, or judgment. Creates in us a gospel humility. That's what the truth is. John's saying, test the spirit. Don't let that voice bounce around in your head. Don't let that take root in your heart. It will cripple your ministry. It will cripple your worship. It will cripple the, the joy in your heart. Test the spirit's. Who's in the kitchen? Last one I think that a lot of people struggle with, and I think it's one of our enemy's most common weapons in his arsenal, is just a voice of fear. Sounds like this, man. Don't take that risk. 
Your heaven is your comfort and your security and your financial stability and the relationships that you don't have. And never take a step that could compromise the good place that you have gotten to. Just stay your lane. Don't take a risk. Don't talk to your neighbor about Jesus. You've got to have a good friendship going on. It's going to get awkward after that. Don't you dare bring up the Jesus word, right? And open up my home, but they might see my insecurity and, and my messy house and some of the dysfunction that's going on in here. And it's a little safer just to watch primetime TV every night. And lead a group, I have nothing to offer. I, I don't think I'm ready for that. I couldn't be that. Plant that church. Do this. Go there. Not me, right? And, and the devil, though he can't take our salvation from us, would love to fuel us with fear to just immobilize us and hold on till heaven, right? But let's apply the Jesus test. What does the Jesus test say? The Jesus test says, listen, you're free to fail because your success is already guaranteed in Christ. Heaven is awaiting you on the other side that God has won for you. You don't need to create your little proverbial heaven on earth. You're going to lose it all anyway. So you don't need to be foolish, right? Say, I'm going to start a watch business. What do you know about watches? Nothing. What do you know about business? Nothing. Okay, so don't take dumb risks, right? (laughs) But we can live out the calling that God has placed in us and with some wisdom move forward in faith as God calls us because we're free to fail, right? Worst thing that can happen is we can say, man, I'm sorry, I blew that, and we start over again. We're free to fail. What's the Bible test say? The Bible says that God hasn't given us a spirit of fear but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So we walk forward in in confidence to hear from God, not avoiding all risk and failure and making that our primary decision-making method metrics, but believing the truth of the gospel, casting away fear, and walking in faith. I want to end this way. It's frequently said that the best way to spot a counterfeit is to be an expert in the genuine. The idea is that we don't need to be experts in everything that is false, but we should be so intimately familiar with what is real and what is true that we can spot a variance from a mile away. And it's for that reason, City Light, I just want to appeal to us as God would move in your heart that we would be a people that love, cherish, memorize, saturate our hearts in the Word of God. This is our truth. We're going to hear a lot of lies. The only way we're going to know the difference is if we are people of the truth and of the Word. Would we be Bible people? Would we be gospel people, good news people? that the condemning self-talk and the accusations of our enemy, the devil would bounce off because we are so secure in our identity as we preach the gospel and display it to each other, as we preach it to ourselves, that we are the adopted children of God, his very possession, his Holy Spirit resting inside of us, uh, that we're free to walk in faith and walk with God. City Light, you belong to Jesus. He has given you his truth. Would you live in that truth since you're anchored down in that truth? This morning, to remember the enormous price that our father paid to bring us into his family, we're going to celebrate communion as we do frequently here at City Light. Love communion because in communion we remember the body and blood of Jesus that was broken and poured out for the forgiveness of our sins to bring us into the family of God. I'm going to pray, the band's going to lead us, and then uh, I want to invite you just to to take some time. You don't need to rush up to get into the communion line. We're going to have a couple different songs. Um, But as the Holy Spirit would lead you, you might identify some lies that you have been believing. And you might just invite God, God, would you replace that lie with the truth? Would you help me be the kind of person that loves the truth, believes the truth, walks in the truth? 
Um, let God remind you of his love for you. When you're ready, would you come forward and receive communion to remind you of the price of that forgiveness and the truth that he's extended to you. The communion service will be up here. They'll be in the back. There's no ushers. Whenever you're ready, you come forward. You come back. If you have any food allergies, uh, there's a special station in the very back. You can uh, go there. And I always want to mention, we've got a prayer team in the back during our communion time. Uh, Maybe you've realized, I've believed a lot of lies. Maybe you're thinking, I've never filtered out one message that comes to me, and I'm kind of just the product of a whole lot of misinformation and lies that have come into me. And you would just love someone to pray with you and for you that those lies would be replaced. We'd love to pray for you in the back. The prayer team has little prayer lanyards on. Um, Any prayer needs that you have, we'd love to pray for you. And so uh, let's pray now. Jesus, we thank you that you are the way and the truth and the life. Father, there's a thousand different messages coming at everyone in this room every week, but oh God, would you anchor our hearts and our minds in truth, uh, that we would not believe the lies, but we would stand firm in our gospel identities, that we would receive only what the Father speaks to us, and that we would live and operate and minister in the confidence that comes from you, Jesus. Um, Oh God, May we be a voice of truth, only listen to truth uh, in this culture. Thank you for this meal, God. Help us to remember your body and your blood as we celebrate communion. In Jesus' name, amen.